0: Welcome into episode number two of Natchez Glen Podcast Stories. So recently I've been doing interviews that I've been trying to gather up, you know, create a library with different people in different horticultural subjects. And in the conversations, there's really good information, but I also felt like maybe we're getting too technical. Maybe we're getting lost in the jargon. And for anyone that works in any industry. We all know how this goes. We all want to feel a little important. So we start to create our own vocabulary, our own language to make our job specific. You know, there's are, there are so many fields out there in the world that have acronyms for days that if you didn't work in that industry, you have no idea what people are talking about. I always feel that way with like mechanical things. I didn't grow up around cars and small engines or car engines or anything like that. So whenever I go into that world, I always feel like, what does any of this mean? Who knows this stuff? Not me. I don't know. And it makes you feel a little intimidated and also makes you maybe more than a little disinterested. So I wanted to make sure that didn't happen for the gardening, horticulture, and for the podcast stories that I'm doing, because I think a lot of the guests are bringing great information. But I want you to have a resource, something you could turn to and listen to first before we got too far down the Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole occasionally on really specific subjects. Now, for those of you that are already down the rabbit hole, just listen along and we'll go through some things. Maybe it'll give me a good primer to give you some of my take on some of the key things about gardening and horticulture and some of the words. And for those of you that are new to the world, well, you'll be getting good information because you know it's from
1: me. The only dreams I've had have been in the daytime. Anything to get away from the straight line, straight line
0: that I walk. And the most key word is where it all starts. And if you follow me on Instagram, of course you know I'm gonna talk about this first. Soil. And I found this interesting because I sort of went down the merriam Webster path here to get some where are words known? What are the definitions of some of these words? And soil also has the negative connotations. You soiled yourself. I mean, that's horrible, right? I mean, no one needs this information in their life. Dirt, you treated me like dirt. These are all negative things. But in the gardening horticulture world, they should be as prized a possession as even your most favorite plant. Because your most favorite plant isn't going to do well unless your soil is really good. So if you look at it that way, For me to get the plants I want, I've got to put the same attention and put the same positive spin on my soil, dirt, as I do my plants. And I see so many people, they fall in love with plants before they fall in love with the process of growing plants. And soil is the most important part of the process. So we got to fall in love with that. And I know it's going to take you a minute, but if you can shift your psychology to look at soil As a key thing, it's the most important thing, then everything else is going to go great for you. So let's start there. Soil, dirt, compost, mulch, all of these things are the same thing. They're organic matter. What's organic matter? Let's think of it on a real elementary school level here rocks, trees, leaves, animal waste, animal byproduct. Yes, that kind of stuff we don't want to think about. All breaking down. Now, here is where all these products differ. It's the age of when they've broken down and where in decomposition they're at. The very beginning, like big chunks of wood that we see like in a forest, right? It's at the very beginning of the decomposition stage, all the way down to compost, which is considered the best and most expensive product for a garden because It's supposed to be at a point where it is broken down enough where now, as it breaks down more, it's giving off micronutrients back to the soil, into your plants. So that's why it's considered the best. Where if you think of mulch, it's a younger product. It's not quite at that place yet. It's breaking down. Again, remember that. They're all breaking down, but it's at a younger stage. So it's not breaking down back into those micronutrients yet. That's the key difference. That's why compost is a more valuable or priced higher product than mulch or wood chips. The soil that's in your yard or garden, in fact, many times is older than what we would buy as a composted product. And the problem there being that it's already broken down all those micronutrients and it no longer is giving them back to the plants, or it's holding them, or the composition of what it is made of. Maybe it was all stone. That's really when we see clay, it's really what we're seeing is this combination of a lot of limestone typically, and it's really tightly holding all of the nutrients that are in there. So we get into soil composition, the structure of it, which is a little different. But just keep in mind, this is a really complex subject that there is so much information out there about that you need to fall in love with. That is the number one tip of the first podcast pocket guide. Topic number two, propagation, which even in itself, I don't know what I feel like the word propagation is more closely related to. Almost sounds like a surgery or something negative again. Have you gone in for your propagation yet? Yeah, I got to go in next Tuesday. Not looking forward to being propagated. Definitely not. Sounds bad. Sounds like there may be like, you know, a table involved with that. What's with the weird paper at doctor's offices? You know, that's sort of not like wax paper, almost like a butcher paper thing. It's not the most personable stuff. I mean, do you have to have that thing all the time? And why is it at a doctor's office? You wait in a waiting room and then you wait in the doctor's room it's like two waiting rooms. It's just rude. Can we, if anybody's got any recommendations of a doctor that doesn't do that to you, I'm all ears and would love to know this, but my experience with doctors is the two waiting rooms. I don't like it. Fine. It's almost toying with you. Almost toying with you. So when I go in for my propagation coming up next Tuesday, hopefully there won't be a waiting room after the waiting room, but propagation There are so many different ways to get new plants because that's really the, the whole goal of horticulture from its roots. People were looking for new. They wanted new plants. Now, most of it started in edibles, new things to eat. That's where agriculture comes from. Where horticulture breaks off of the tree just a tad, it became the science and the art of growing fruits, vegetables, flowers, landscape, ornamental plants. So it broke off a little bit, but still remains rooted, literally, in the agriculture world. And I often find they're two separate, but really they should be a little bit closer linked to each other. Farming became agriculture and horticulture became ornamental plants and sort of the academic side of it. And both parties could really use the other more. The world of horticulture could use the practicality and real-world problems that farmers have. And farmers could use the knowledge and science that horticulturalists have. So the two of you need to get together and work this out between yourselves. But really, when it comes to it, everyone was looking for new. So when you talk about propagating, it's a methodology to make new plants, to produce new plants. You find a plant that was discovered somewhere in the world, and then they were like, how are we going to make more of this great plant? Well, then it came into the different methods of how you made new plants. Now, the most easy one that most people think about is seeds. I will tell you, very little in the universe that we see commercially produced is actually grown from seed. Why? So let's say we have a plant. We'll pick on one that we know that I'm super familiar with, dahlias. We use cafe au lait because, again, it's another well-known dahlia. So we have cafe au lait. We gather seeds from a cafe au lait flower. We harvest those seeds, we dry them, and we germinate them. Then we let that plant grow. We're a little far along in the process number one here already. This is going to take longer. This is sort of a nature type sequence. We're going to let the flower go to a seed pod. We're going to dry it. We're going to germinate it. And then we're going to wait for it to grow big enough to see what happens. Now here is where it gets tricky. So we've got those seeds, we've germinated them. The plant has now grown maybe another full season and we're starting to see a bloom. Now the odds are we're not gonna see a cafe au lait style flower. What does that mean? It means we're expecting that seed to produce the same flower that we harvested it from. That's not gonna happen. Most plants in the universe are not what's called true to seed. Meaning if you gather the seed, it would be exactly the same as the parent that you gathered it from. It's not the way genetics work. The variability in a plant and in a seed is huge. So that same cafe au lait seed that we harvested, it may just produce like a small red open-faced dahlia. And we were expecting more cafe au lait magic. That's why most plants are not grown from seed. Of that same problem. There's too much variability in that universe. So, to eliminate variability, we developed additional methods of how to propagate, make more plants than just from seed. One of those ways is tissue cuttings or rooted cuttings, meaning from that cafe au lait plant, we would actually take a piece of the plant right where the leaf begins the little beginning of a stem we take a cutting from that and we would root that and then that would develop roots if we did our job right and then that would hold the same genetics as the cafe au lait plant and we would get cafe au lait flowers from those tubers in the future so it guarantees the same flower that we started with that we wanted more of that we wanted to that's right Propagate. Now, as science is advanced, there's new versions of how to do this. There's tissue cultures that are taken, and all of this is tremendously important work. Why? Number one, it speeds up the process. Unlike having to wait that full season, we can actually take tissue cultures, we can take rooted cuttings, and those are faster to grow than those seeds are. And we're guaranteed to get what we wanted. Along with that speed, it's a much faster and reliable process versus growing from seed only. The second way that we propagate plants is called grafting. Now, grafting is primarily only used for like shrubs and trees. And this is the best way, I think, to think about the process. So let's picture a seed that has grown. Or sometimes it's a tissue cutting, but mostly it's from seed. We've got a little baby tree that we grew from seed. And maybe it's about a year old, two years old. It's a little smaller than a pencil. Now what we're going to do is whack the top of that thing off. What? Yes. Now, we've got another tree or bush that we wanted to make more of. And we took a cutting off of that, like a new piece of growth that was like the newest growth on the plant. We took that growth. And we're going to connect it to that little baby tree. We're going to connect it to that. And if you've ever thought of the word graft in a literal way, we're grafting the two together. And what's going to happen is that root system that was on our little baby tree is going to provide life to that new tree that we wanted more of. They're going to fuse together in a wondrous genetic process. And now we're going to be guaranteed to have the traits that we wanted from that new tree, again, guaranteeing that if we propagate it that way, we're going to get those traits. Now, if we had a new tree that we discovered somewhere in the world somehow, and we gathered seed, it'd be the same problem as the Dahlia. We wouldn't necessarily get a true to seed product. That's the problem, again, with growing anything from seed is that variability in the universe is too big. We can't rely upon it. This is where we take a turn to two words that are really tricky heirloom and genetically modified organism, GMO, right? We see labels even now on products that say not made from genetically modified organisms, non GMO. Heirloom is a positive word. We think of it that way. Well, here's the problem we get real tricky on this. So the GMO word that most people have in their brains, is an organism that has been made in a laboratory. Well, here's the problem. What happens if in that laboratory, they're just taking tissue cuttings to make sure that we get a new variety of, let's call it, tomato? Because this tomato is fantastic, it produces great for farmers, it's got great flavor, its yields are really great, and they need to take tissue cuttings. Now, technically speaking, If we select this new variety, we're not genetically modifying it in a petri dish, but we're definitely modifying it. On its own, that tomato plant may not produce the same thing from seed. So we've got to go tissue cutting. So is that genetically modifying an organism? It really gets dicey, people. It really does. So just remember, there's a lot of things that happen in laboratories with plants now. That are really a positive thing so let's not vilify it all the time now if we talk about some of the other issues of gmo foods we're talking about altering or adding genes to a plant to get an outcome that we want it's a little bit different but if you do a quick google the florida citrus industry was going through a huge crisis with a pathogen that was affecting their plants and literally killing off groves of citrus. They had to turn to a rootstock that was resistant to the pathogen to keep their industry going. And there's an example of where a genetically modified rootstock was developed to help save that entire industry. So, don't always be so quick to hear these buzzwords out there and to think of them as good or bad Most of the time, there's a real happy medium of what's called facts that'll give you insight to really what's going on. Just in the case as heirloom, what does that mean? Well, it's almost in the literal definition of it. It's an heirloom that is passed down. Now, technically speaking, an heirloom varietal should be true to seed, meaning that if I gather seeds from this plant, from this year, and I give them to you, you should be able to grow the exact same plant. With tomatoes, we see that so frequently. They were one of the first things where heirloom tomatoes became a product that people were willing to spend more than $4 a pound on. So it became a big buzzword. Well, that's still not always the case with them. And now many of the heirloom tomatoes aren't grown from seed. Again, they're done from rooted cuttings or tissue cultures. So it's a little bit dicey, the real definition of the word was it was supposed to be true to seed so that's where heirloom became this a little bit more poetic has a little bit more of a romantic twist to it that heirlooms were from seeds that you put in the earth and they grew up out of the ground versus that other world which has this laboratory science lean to it it's not this iconic farm agriculture horticulture vision we want to have but just remember Propagating plants isn't, number one, it's not something you go to the doctor's office for. Remember that? And it's a really complicated subject that before we lean one way or the other, we have to understand there's a time to grow things from seeds, and maybe that works, but most of the plants out there in the universe are propagated through some kind of intervention, either grafted, rooted cuttings or tissue cultures, and all of that is done by people. And because we're on the slippery slopes of all of the controversial topics in the world of gardening and horticulture, let's go for this one. Organic. We talked about this with soil and compost. The word organic simply means relating to or derived from living material of food or farming methods produced or involving production without the use of chemical fertilizers, pesticides, or other artificial agents. Now here's the problem. What's the word pesticide mean? An agent used to destroy pests. pest. This whole subject gets so dicey, complicated, people. Number one, everything out there in the universe is somehow organically derived. Even in laboratories, we don't turn nothing into something. We start with some agent, some chemical compound. Most of them are originally organic derived. Newsflash for everyone. Things don't exist from nowhere. They all start somewhere. So as we get into the word organic, that becomes the problem. How do we label something organic? Let me give you an example. So there was a moment in time where people were looking to prevent weeds in gardens. And there's many reasons of how you prevent weeds and why you prevent weeds. Number one being that weeds compete with your plants. They want to see your plants not do well because why? They want to do well. So there was a big push to try to find organic methodologies to stop and combat weeds in gardens and farming and horticulture and agriculture. One of the early things that people started to use was a vinegar product, a horticultural vinegar. If you have ever wanted to not be able to breathe in your sinuses for the rest of the week, I suggest to you go get some horticultural vinegar and spray it. This is a potent product that is not only dangerous to you in the moment, but also has negative ramifications to soil. Then on the flip side of the argument, we have glyphosate, which is Roundup. That product has a negative connotation and a negative use to it as well. And all of these get down to what are your personal choices in gardening? And in episode number one with my friend Doug, that was so much of what I hope we were able to get across to you. Gardening is a personal journey and something you should enjoy. So, for you, if having a garden means you're accepting the fact that you're gonna have to go out there and hand weed and you enjoy that process, then more power to you. You can make that happen. If you don't enjoy weeds and those things give you anxiety, then you need to find a solution to be able to deal with those. But it's still going to be a personal choice because ultimately, at the end of the day, just like eating food, right? Every once in a while, you eat healthy, but then every once in a while, you go to dozens. And get yourself a chocolate chip cookie. Maybe that's what I do. But you live with that decision too. So they all have positives and negatives on our world and impact us. So again, let's not get so dogmatic on subjects that we completely eliminate everything from the table. That's always my point on this subject. Don't talk to things in a way of absolutes. Because in the world, there are no absolutes. So when we come to things like organic, these are dangerous words because people have hijacked them to sell you products. And on the flip side, sometimes to demonize products, just like the word chemical versus organic. If we go in front of people right now, we say, would you want to have a garden that's organic or would you want to have a chemical garden? They're going to pick organic because that's the words we've been sold. Despite the fact there are many organic products that are certified organic that aren't really the best either. Number one, from the perspective of, do they even work? And number two, do they have negative ramifications on what you're doing? There are organic products that will kill pests, bugs. But that's still a pesticide. But many people are looking for pesticide-free gardens. So this is where we get into the complexity of these subjects sometimes. We've just got to understand that the world of gardening, the world of horticulture, is really just full of buzzwords, just like your industry, just like anyone's industry, acronyms and words and words that are positioned to sell products and words that are positioned to demonize other products. So let's key on two words, pesticide and fertilizer. Starting with pesticide, here's how I deal with this. So if I have a pest in my garden, Let's use thrips as an example, because they're one of the worst things that I have to deal with, with growing so many flowers. Thrips are these little tiny brown bugs. I did an Instagram story highlight on this subject as well. They go inside flower petals, they chew on them, and then you have this ugly flower. So I need to get rid of these thrips. So I'll start with whatever I feel is like the lowest intensity product I can. That might be some kind of Uh, neem oil. It might be some kind of clove oil. It's going to be something that is a relatively low-grade chemical product. But make no mistake, these are mostly either naturally derived products that are made still in factories or sometimes they're synthesized products. But I'll start with one of those, see if that does anything. And then I go, the thrips are still here. Yep, they're still thrips. Then I'll go up one more scale. Then I'll go up one more scale. And then eventually, I'll get to products that I know we are going to eliminate them. I know that if I spray bifenthrin, it's going to eliminate thrips. I know that's going to happen. Now, right before I get to bifenthrin, I'll be at spinosad, which is a chemical product that actually has an organic certified spray to use. And if that works, I'll stop right there at that product. But if it doesn't, I'll go one more. And that's how I approach it. Just like if you were going to your doctor, Your doctor's not going to immediately send you into surgery for something. They're going to go through a process of elimination. That's what I'm doing. What can I eliminate here? Does this work? Nope, that didn't work. On to the next one. Oh, that didn't work. On to the next one. Until I get a result. Until my problem is solved. That's how I approach pesticides. It's also how I approach any kind of diseases I have on plants too. I'm going to do the same process. I'm always going to approach my plants the same way I would approach my own health. I'm not gonna go immediately to something until I've gone through a process of eliminating other solutions. If eventually my doctor tells me, you gotta take this medicine, I'm taking the medicine. If that's what's gonna make me feel better, I'm doing it. How you choose to approach these subjects is gonna be, again, a personal choice. But there's how I approach anything along those lines. (laughs) Now, when it comes to fertilizer, I go down a really easy path. I just use all organic materials. That's it, because that's what soil is, right? So I don't need to go anywhere else. So what do I use? I use things like manure. I use things like compost. I use granular fertilizers that are made from things like chicken manure, cow manure, whatever it's gonna be. I stick really easy there. You should never be spending a ton of money on organic fertilizer products. If you are, you're doing the wrong thing, hit me up, slide into the DMs, I'll help you out because that's something you should never see. You should never see yourself paying more for organically derived products than synthesized products. Think about it. I can go into the woods and grab a bunch of leaves for free. That's actually going to be a really good first. I'm not recommending you go into the forest and steal these. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Don't tell anybody. If I am, that's between you and I and your earbuds or wherever you're listening to this through. But if you went into the woods and you stole a bunch of leaves and you ground them up really finely, it would be a really good fertilizer product. Don't tell anybody else. It's our secret. We just covered three hugely broad subjects. Number one being soil compost, soil products number two being how to propagate plants, and number three being fertilizers and pesticides and organic or chemical. And all of these you're going to find with all thing plants are so variable. Think about the world and the earth that we live on, the variability of animals, the variability of plants. It almost seems infinite at times, and I think that's one of the reasons why it occasionally feels overwhelming. There's almost too much choice and we can get overrun by those choices. That's why your guiding principle has to be, do what you love. In that first podcast with my friend, Doug, we talked about the two of us and how we got into gardening and plants and our journeys of it. And both of us were motivated by the exact same thing. We just loved it. Keep finding the things you love. Keep finding the plants that you love, which leads me to this. This is my last tip here. And I save this for the end because after I'm assassinated by the Independent Garden Centers of America, you're going to come to me and be like, Steve, we're sorry you were assassinated. We knew it was going to happen. We didn't know it was going to happen this soon, but we know who did it at least. So, for you to find the plants that you love, you're going to have to go outside the doors of independent garden centers that are local to you and big box stores. You're going to have to go online. You're going to see this in this program that I'm doing on Instagram, where we're going to produce content, where we're going to go to people's gardens and help them pick plants that they love to grow great gardens. You're going to see me work with them on finding awesome varieties of different plants, things like daylilies, right? In certain parts of the world, daylilies are called ditch lilies. Everybody looks down on daylilies. Well, first off, their botanical name is Hemerocallis, which is just fun to say, Hemerocallis hemerocallis and there are phenomenal gorgeous fragrant double bloomed all kinds of colors creamy apricots deep purples of hemerocallis in the universe but if you go into a local garden center your odds are you're not going to see that selection but through the beauty of the internet and google We can find people that are so specialized because they have a passion, typically, for growing things like haemorrhocholus. So they're going to have hundreds of varieties to choose from. It's not going to be the same selection. The only thing you have to get over is, number one, you're going to have to order your plants. It's no different than ordering something from Jeff Bezos. Let's be real. We're all used to this now, so let's move on from that. You'll get a plant that's probably a little bit smaller but it's going to catch up. Most of the plants that we see out there in the world in containers aren't as old as we think they are. So these mail order plants that we're going to get a lot of times are going to catch up really quick. But the most important thing, don't get caught up in that, that size equals value in the plant world. It's so not true. What equals value in the plant world are things you love. So if that means you're searching for a deep red daylily that has a beautiful bloom to it and multiple flower spikes on it. We're going to be able to find that online or not going to be able to find that so many times in a local independent garden center. Now, if you live in an area and your independent garden center just rocks and they have all kinds of varieties and you go in there and you're like, oh, I want this, this, and this, and they work with you, more power to it. Keep going there. But many of us don't have that luxury. And Even if we have a great local independent garden center where we can get some things, they're not going to have all the things. Because again, the world of plants is too large. So throughout the course of the podcast series, I'm going to have people on from these little mail order online-based nurseries that specialize in things. We'll talk with them. We'll get a real feel for it. And that way you can find the plants that you're passionate about. You may find you have, let's say, a lot of shade, but you want things that flower. So something like an epimedium, which you never even knew existed till I just said the word, is great for that kind of condition of dry shade. And there is, yes, there is, and I know them, a grower who specializes in epimediums. So you could get an entire collection of a garden going where you have beautiful epimediums that you love and you're passionate about, and that's what keeps fueling your garden dreams because that's really what we want to have. To close out this podcast pocket guide, which is fun to say, by the way, podcast pocket guide, I'll leave you with this thought. Gardening is about two things. It's about you and what you love and making a space. The creativity of working with plants and colors and textures and lights is infinite. And if you enjoy the process of creativity and making things, don't get bogged down in the technical. Don't get bogged down in the things that you're intimidated by because right now, maybe you're not that comfortable with them. You will over time. I'm here for you to help. And the big thing is let's make this garden that you're growing something that you love. And the plants that are in it, something that every time you see them, you feel great about having them, not just a thing filling
1: a space. I feel since why is the blue bird A hummingbird don't hang around too long. A bird makes a living off of other bird songs. And I heard somewhere there. But the bluebird is still one that I can't read Tell me why is the bluebird blue Is a song he sings, a song to tune Does he feel like I feel since I lost you Tell me why is the bluebird blue Yeah, spring is out and there's love in the air, and I know that I've got plenty to share. The bluebird's blue and buddy so in my hand, I feel about as low as the bluebird fly, he Tell me why is the bluebird blue, is a song he sings, a somber tune? Does he feel like I feel since I lost you? Tell me why is the bluebird, why is the bluebird blue? Is a song he sings a song or two? Does he feel like I feel since I lost you? Tell me why is the bluebird blue? Yeah, baby, why is the bluebird blue? Tell me why is the bluebird blue?